Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming in from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio here in the lovely city of the big country, Abilene, Texas. But we're uh, obviously uh, hitting many more markets than, than that. If you want to find out more about our show and uh, what we do here on Docs and Jocks, maybe you're listening to one of our out of uh, the big country area markets, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can listen to our iTunes podcast anytime, anywhere. Maybe if you're in a market where you don't get our show every weekend, but you want to catch it when you're out and about, you can do so by going to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I'm a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. I've been taking care of high school, college, professional, uh, weekend warrior athletes my entire career at Texas Sport and Spine. What we like to do here on the radio show is also talk to you about some of those injuries we see in the news that might affect you as well. Maybe your favorite player has a back injury, a shoulder injury, hip injury. Maybe it's something like what you're dealing with. We're not taking the place of your physician, but we're kind of giving you the information to get you pointed in the right direction to get you back on the field sooner. Hey, uh, I'm joined this week by my co-host, my fill-in co-host, Brandon Hawk, who is usually our producer here on Docs and Jocks. His Ferris Potter, our typical co-host, is out uh, doing his thing with Grand Canyon University, where he's their longtime sports broadcaster. Brandon is a uh, longtime athletic trainer. He's been with the Dallas Cowboys as well as the Texas Tech Red Raiders. So Hawk's bringing his expertise here on Docs and Jocks as well. Great to have you on the show today, Hawk. Yeah, I'm excited. A lot of fun things to talk about today. Man, we got some great guests coming on. We're going to have on uh, Dr. Stephen Brown of neurosurgery. Uh, Dr. Brown is one of my favorite neurosurgeons. He's a big sports advocate himself. He's always out uh, playing tennis and uh, always with his uh, family out doing uh, uh, fan events uh, all over the world with uh, sporting endeavors. So Dr. Brown's going to talk to us about some of those injuries like spinal cord injuries. We've seen those in the news with, news with Ryan Shazier of the uh, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, the linebacker who had a spinal cord injury. He's now going through rehab. We see where Adrian Peterson now is out with a neck injury. Uh, we, last night we saw the Colts tight end Brandon Williams go down with what was thought to be possibly a neck injury. Now it ends up being a head injury. So we talk about some of those injuries and more with Dr. Stephen Brown. And then we're going to have on later in the show Jaden Hill. Jaden is a 17-year-old right-handed, foot 4 220-pound Right-handed pitcher that throws, get this, this is not an uh, area here again, he throws 95 miles an hour. He is the number one rated pitcher in the state of Arkansas. He's probably projected to be in the top uh, five, maybe even the top first round of the Major League Baseball amateur draft coming up to not too long. So we're talking to Jaden Hill about how he got there, what his plans are, and, and what he does for his recovery and those types of things. So won't want to miss our entire show here on Docs and Jocks as we talk to Stephen Brown and Jaden Hill. Hey, remember, you can always follow us anyway, anytime by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. We'll be right back with your Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show after this short commercial break. Listening to Guy Talk live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, my girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. 
Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, your sports medicine physician, coming to you, talking about what's going on in the sports medicine world. Hawk, I do want to say thank you to our latest sponsor. We have on uh, the Shed Meat Market. The Shed was a legendary place, a uh, restaurant to go eat out at Wingate, Texas. Uh, they have now, uh, the grandson of uh, the originator of the Shed is now starting the Shed Meat Market, coming to us uh, here in the near future out on Buffalo Gap. And he's a big um uh, Big fan favorite here of Docs and Jocks. We love uh, those guys as well, and they are sponsoring our show here. And hopefully some of the guests that come on here are going to get a little uh, tenderloin or maybe some ribeyes. So what a great way to be a guest on Docs and Jocks. Man, maybe we'll get some of that too, Hawk. But I want to say a big shout-out to The Shed. If someone wants to be a sponsor, you can contact us and uh, docsandjocks.com. There's a way to contact us there. And, Hawk, you'd be glad to talk to him about being a sponsor. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Byron and his whole family, part of the Forge family here. Yeah. So we love uh, partnering with our uh, members here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I wanted to talk about some of the big stories in the news right now. I mean, if you're looking at uh, any sports outlet, you name it, they are talking about concussions. And a lot of it is because, Hawk, you know, you and I, we, we talk about this at Dr. Jock so often that I feel like sometimes – the um, the major news outlets are a little bit behind us on the sports medicine world, but that's what we the world we live in. Yes. So now they're kind of talking about concussions the same way we are, especially with the recent injuries, uh, concussions to potential concussions of Russell Wilson, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, as well as Tom Savage, the uh, Texans quarterback who went down last week. And, and both of these, I'm going to talk about this from a sports medicine physician dilemma. That's what I'm going to call it. As a, I, I take care of currently, I take care of a high school and I take care of Hardin-Simmons University, and so the high schools and the university that I take care of, they are very easy now. I don't say easy, but it's much easier than it used to be because the immature brain, and that's what we call until you're fully an adult, so high school and college have now come out with statements that if uh, an injury occurs, such as concussion, that you believe there is a concussion that occurred at the time of the injury, you are done. You're done for the game. You're, yeah, I don't no longer have to do this. And let me give you a little background, a little history. And Hawk was in the athletic training world when this was the case as well. We used to have to grade concussions. So when you came to the sideline and you had a concussion, the athletic trainer would come get the team physician typically. And one of us, and we would go through it together, would start doing a battery of tests to try and figure out how long was your post-traumatic amnesia? How long were you, did you lose your memory? Yeah. How long were you out? The duration of your loss of consciousness. How severe is the injury with regards to physical exam findings and how severe is the injury with regards to neuropsychological testing? There's some tests that we do that are kind of standardized. Based on that, we gave you a grade one, a grade two, a grade three concussion. If you fell into certain categories, you could return. If all, if all your symptoms went away after 20 minutes, you could return to, to the game. So now every concussion became a big deal. Every concussion now was how long, are you, how, what is a grade? I got to recheck him every so often. If it clears by 20 minutes, I let him go back in. Well, you can imagine if this is the quarterback or the star running back <laughs> or the star player. I always used to judge of how good a player I was taken care of by how many coaches came and asked me, was he, was, was, when was he coming back, if he was coming back, how serious it was. If I got the head coach's attention to come back and ask me, I knew we were dealing with a star player, right? Yeah, That's just absolutely. the way it works because yes. they're very concerned about all their players, but the game, which while they make it living – is determined by star players playing well. And so when it's your quarterback, your star running back, your star wide receiver, you name it, they really wanted to back. A linebacker on defense, obviously. So it became kind of a difficult situation as a team position because you felt that pressure. Yeah. Now, as a team position for college and high school, if you have a concussion, boom, you're done. I don't have to I don't have to grade them. I'm not because the problem was is that the player wanted to go back so badly. 
that they would get mad at you. We used to have to take their helmets. This is legit. Yeah. We would take their helmets from a hawk. You remember walking around the sidelines oh, yeah. holding a player's helmet? They don't like it. They the do way. not like it. You've been yelled at by some of the best. You've been yelled at by Jason Witten. You've been yelled at by some of the greatest players of all time. So it, <laughs> yeah. it goes all the way from peewee all the way through professional. Yes. They get upset. So you take their helmet from them because you, you realize they're going to go back in without your, you know, taking that helmet away. So you have them manage on that end. If you, if you, uh, then you felt that pressure from the team because you're holding out their best player. So you, you know that you're supposed to be doing only what's right for the player, do no harm, do what's right for the, your patient, nothing else. Yeah. But you felt that pressure from him. So it was always that's what that that was the situation you were in. So let's look at these two cases, Hawk, from the physician dilemma, this team physician dilemma, and the athletic trainer dilemma. Or me being the media, everyone else that doesn't know. <laughs> what's that? Well, you know, from our side, like we talked yeah. about this week, you know, we've talked about it all week. We don't really get the physician side of it. And yeah. So this is going to be great for our listeners to really understand what dilemma you're in. Yeah. So let's just start off with the Russell Wilson one. Russell Wilson had a suspected concussion. He runs off to the sidelines. He then is supposed to go in the medical tent and get evaluated. He, while this is supposed to be going on, by all looks, by what I, everything I've seen, he decides to run back out there and go back out before all this is done. So they don't even do the NFL concussion protocol. Yeah. Because Russell Wilson knows that his team needs him. He feels as though he hasn't had a concussion. So it's the old story of you used to have to take their helmet from him to keep him from going back on the field. Yeah. That's what Russell Wilson did. So he pulled the old, I'm good. I don't have a concussion. I don't want to see you. I always say as a team physician, the players during the game never want to talk to me because they know that if they tell me they have an injury, I might hold them out. And they do not want, they do not want to come out. Yeah. It's what they play for in college. It's what they live for. It's in pros. It's what they get paid for. So Russell Wilson runs back out on the field, and now so it's being challenged. The team physicians are saying, how did you let this guy go back on the field? The, rush, the concussion protocol wasn't adhered to. But oftentimes a team physician, the players do things that aren't always in their best interest, yeah. even though you tell them that you know this is, this is in your best interest. So I'm sure you've had that happen to you where players give – you've been in the NFL as, a, as an athletic trainer. Give us some examples. Don't give names basically, but players being upset about any injury that they did not want to come out on. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, like you said, these guys are extreme competitors Straight. in the NFL. So how they got there? Yeah, I mean, they they're above everyone. They don't else. they don't come out easy. They're one percenters. And right. So uh, when I I remember a specific case, you know, a guy was kind of wobbling a bit on the field, and you know, the players kind of had to hold him up, and uh, obviously they they let us know pretty quick, and we're talking to him, and obviously he's got a little bit of slurred speech, and can't really he's not really with us in the moment. He probably comes to a little bit better after that you know, quicker than most. And he feels like he's ready to go and, you know, he's a contributor. And so everybody knows him. And so, uh, but I, I credit our team physicians who, you know, the guy real well that was treating him. Dr. Dr. Fowler. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Great guy. He, you know, he separated that even as a team physician, he loved that guy. You know, he wants us to win more than anybody, but he separated his fanness of the Cowboys with his medical license being a doctor. And so, he it didn't go well. I mean, they. I think uh, Dr. Val was pretty upset, and obviously the player was really upset. But at the end of the day, regardless if he had what we would call a concussion or not, I mean, he prevented him from further injury, which right. you say do no harm. So, right. you know, it's it's just one of those things. Is when you have these pe- guys that are so competitive, want to be out there, you get it. But at the end of the day, you read about these Larry Johnson stuff. We'll talk about later in the show. Yeah. Uh, is all these stuff that they're saying what football did to them. So right. then it's like hand in hand. Well. Do you want me to leave you in, or do you want me to pull exactly, you out? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I say the team position. And I'm thinking, excuse my French, but uh, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, and really, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that's the that's the Russell Wilson saga of I got a player 
who wants to be in, and he's a he's an overachiever, obviously, and he just goes back in without letting me do my job. And I guess that's why colleges don't have the independent neurologist on the sideline because once you guys see the concussion, the player's gone. Yeah, and you're done. No, there's no decision. Yeah, there's no decision making yeah. to it. So we separate the adult brain from the immature brain. Yeah. Okay. So in the NFL. You determine if they have a concussion and you do the test and they pass all the tests, the neurocognitive test. An adult brain, they can then decide whether or not they want to go back in again. So let's do the Tom Savage deal now. So we all see Tom Savage. He goes down. He does the uh, posturing. That's when your brain doesn't function correctly. You have different types of, that's called posturing or spasticity that you you go into that type of movement. So everybody like, oh my God, he's having a seizure on the field. He obviously had a concussion. You're used to college and high school now where you have a concussion, you're done for the done for that week, that game for sure. Yeah. So Tom Savage comes off to the sidelines, and guess what? He passes all the tests. He passes it from his team physician, his sports medicine team with his team, and he passes it with the independent neurologist. He's then given the option to go back in. He goes back in, plays a few more plays, and comes back out. So everybody's like, oh, my God, how they can they let him go back in? <laughs> so they're all like just hammering the team physicians. Including me. Hammering the team <laughs> physicians on air, on the media. When they don't. When the team physician is in the dilemma now of, okay, so we followed the protocol. Yeah. An independent neurologist has said he has passed the test. They haven't said, I mean, you can have a concussion and pass the test in the NFL and still go back in. So they let him go back in. In other words, they're basically measuring his amount of brain injury, if he had a brain injury. It, by the testing, it doesn't appear that he does, so they let him go back in. And the, and the team physicians, here's your other dilemma. You can't respond, right? You can't talk about yeah. your patients. Yeah. So – you know, here you are getting hammered over and over and over again in the media. But really what they did is they followed their job, and it just had a bad appearance because you see a guy who obviously had a concussion. Nobody on TV and on the in the media were part of the testing that saw yeah. him pass it. So all you see is a guy who had a concussion, goes to the sidelines, comes back in the game, and you're like, oh, my gosh, they didn't know it was a, it was a concussion. That isn't the question. It's The question is, did the concussion cause – a brain injury that shows up on your testing. If not, just imagine if if they had no – so you follow the protocol. You find out that he has no concussive symptoms. He passes all the tests. Tom Savage wants to go back in. He's a yeah. professional quarterback. And you say as a team physician, I know all you pa you passed all the tests, but, you know, you cannot go back in. Tom Savage is going to be irate. <laughs> yeah, like then what are the testing what are the for? <laughs> what's the protocol for? Yeah, what's yeah. the testing for? So once again, he was damned if he did, he damned if he didn't. If they let him go back in, you yeah, absolutely, they, they, you know, you get screamed at by the fans, you're an idiot, and how'd you let him go back in? So Dr. Dan, do you think that the NFL really needs to take the college and high school policy of, hey, if, if, you, if I suspect you have a concussion, you're done for the game? In my opinion, that just makes it, Clean cut. Yeah, if you're really an advocate for player safety. Yeah, that's what they said in the young and immature brain. Problem is when you got guys making millions of dollars, it yeah. adds into the factor. So do we have any science that says if you have a concussion that is seen but you have no abnormalities on your neuropsych testing that you do on the sidelines, is there evidence if we send you back into play with no symptoms, is there evidence that you can now return safely or does it cause harm? The scientific evidence at this point says you can go back to play. I don't know. In this, this world we live in where player safety comes first, I just say you just, just rule them out, get them out. It makes it a lot easier. So, yeah. Hey, stay tuned here with us on Docs and Josh. We talk about that and more. There's a lot more, a lot of stuff in the news coming out of concussions and players saying they've had injuries. So you want to hear all that here on Docs and Josh, Sports Medicine Radio Show. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport Inspired. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan Ferris is out traveling to Grand Canyon University where he's a longtime sports broadcaster. We have in my co-host this week is our producer here at Docs and Jocks, Brandon Hawk. He goes by Hawk, former uh, Dallas Ta- Cowboys and Texas Tech Red Raider athletic trainer. And Hawk, man, this is right up your alley, man, Docs and Jocks. We've been talking to sports medicine and concussions and difficulty as the sports medicine team as a, trying to figure out when and if you should hold a player out. I don't think the regular, unless you've been in the situation of you're the if you're the guy that's pulling the best player off the field, <laughs> the, the, how much pressure there is on you to try and make that decision and make it right. You know, here's what I always say when I see a bad injury. I think to myself because I, I take care of a, a university that I, that's my alma mater. I not yeah. only I not only in their team position, it's my alma mater. I'm a fan, right? Yes. But when I have a injury on the sideline, I take my fan hat off. Yes. And I put on my doctor hat because my only responsibility is to that player. Yes. Yeah, I, I know that the other things factor in. I really want to make everybody happy. But sometimes you just cannot. If you pull Russell Wilson when the Seahawks need him on the next series, he, they're, they're going to be upset, right? Russell Wilson's going to be upset at you, and the team's going to be upset with you. But it's that, that, that is neither here nor there. I had this conversation with a, with a high school athlete the other day. I had to pull him out after he had a dis- dislocated shoulder. He did not want to come out. He's a great athlete. Yeah. He did not want to come out, and he yelled at me and, and screamed at me. But the whole time I'm thinking, and I told him this. I, I just looked at him and said, hey, I'm doing this for your best interest. Yeah. Nothing, no other reason. You don't need to go back in because he'll re-dislocate. Yeah, you talk about Russell Wilson not not wanting to go back in. I'm trying to sit here and think, you know, as the athletic trainer on that team, Who's the second string quarterback on that team? I can't even tell you. <laughs> I don't know I, it's who it surely is. not Russell yeah. Russell Wilson like. So yeah. you know, you have to make a decision that doesn't benefit the team. Yeah. I would say though, if you're gonna really truly have them come over to the concussion protocol tent and have them go through concussion testing, take their helmet. Yeah. That's an old trick. You know who taught me that is Davis Ducky. He was an athletic trainer for Harden Simmons University for years and years, and he taught me that trick. He's like, they're gonna they're gonna sneak it out and get back on the field. He goes, just take their helmet. He he used to do it the very first thing he did when he had a player who was con- who was thought to be possibly concussed. Yeah, he took their helmet from him. He goes here, let me have that. And he acted like he was just holding it, but he would not give it back to him. It's a it's a smart trick, but that you learn as an athletic trainer to do over over time. As the ball boy for Arden Simmons back in the late nineties, I saw David Sucky do some things that weren't very popular among the coaching <laughs> staff or the players. But looking back, it was the right thing. He did it in his players' best interest. He did. He uh-huh. he is very good, very solid by the book. And uh, by the way, he's in the Hall of Fame for us uh, athletic trainers. So yeah, he's a big advocate for athletic training. Does does a really good job. Yeah, that's the reason. That's how you get in the Hall of Fame by doing what's best for your athlete slash patient in all given instances. And that's that's where the dilemma comes in. Would, sometimes. would you like a tent on the sideline? Yeah, I don't. I like tents because well, Harden Simmons is protected because we have a big brick wall. Yeah. So the fans can't see me. Only the guest fans can, but they're way far away. Yeah. But because of the way the, the, the seating is, there's no fans at eye level. Yeah. So I, in essence, have a tent. We're kind of in private anyway. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 good to that. I mean, yeah. I know why they do it on – we're not being nationally televised either. Yeah. So I don't have cameras bearing down on me at that at, at Harden-Simmons. So in the brick wall, the way it sits, our, our medical uh, tables are up against that wall. So usually the only person that I'm ever seeing is – the parent of the player will sometimes come down and hang over that top one. Yeah, which I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm dealing with young, young college players. They're, yeah, they're adults, but 
their parents are, are you know what it is, college yeah, players. So absolutely. I've never had a problem with parents being involved in those kind of things. So, yeah, and it's, it's a good situation where I'm at. Good. Hey, let's change topics real bit, real, real quickly. Hey, by the way, our next segment, we're going to have on Dr. Stephen Brown of neurosurgery. He's going to be talking about all the different uh, neck injuries and different uh, neurosurgical injuries we've had over the last uh, man, few weeks in football. So don't want to miss our interview coming up with Stephen Brown. But let's talk a little baseball. Shohei Otani, and I'm sure I just butchered a Japanese name that I have no idea how to say yet. I like it. He is the Japanese two-way player. In other words, he is both a pitcher as well as a uh, uh, hitter and plays in the field, in the outfield, and Daisy's not pitching. He's, he's great at both. He was uh, just went up for bid, and he basically, uh, the Los Angeles Angels won his rights, and so now they are going to be uh, playing with a possible, the first two-way player since, I'm trying to think of the last guy that did this. There was John Olerud, who came out of uh, college as both a pitcher and a hitter, but he ended up just being a first baseman never pitched in the big league so it's been a long time since you had a guy go both ways probably the best of all time was Babe Ruth though he did pitching first and then did hitting but there haven't been too many guys that have been actually ever done both so he may be the first one to actually give it a try his fastball hawk has been clocked at 102 miles an hour wow yeah well there's like two or three guys in the big leagues that actually can do that yeah I don't care if you're from uh, Japan they always say that Japan is probably (laughs) equal of a a one one, you know single a or maybe a double a minor league team if you're throwing 102 miles an hour, it's 102 miles an hour at any level. Yeah. So that is really incredibly fast. But the issue with the sports medicine issue that just came up with him is that they found that he had a grade one sprain of his ulnar collateral ligament, which is the ligament that lives on the inside of your elbow, the one that is best known for the Tommy John surgery that occurs if you rupture your ulnar collateral ligament. And so he had actually, it was reported that he had a platelet-rich plasma injection to the elbow, and if, for those who haven't heard our Docs and Jocks interview with Dr. Jennifer Johnson, who specializes in these types of injections, a platelet-rich plasma injection is where you take your own body's blood, the venous blood, you spin it down, it spins down into different layers. The layer that is a kind of a buffy-looking coated layer on top is called your platelet-rich plasma layer. It has your body's own healing properties uh, that signal your body to heal itself in, in that layer, and when they inject it back into that ligament, you were trying to fool your body, in essence, into a healing response that allows you to heal that ligament. So he had enough of an injury that he sought treatment for it, had a PRP injection. When he went through his uh, physical exams, they found that he had a grade one ulnar collateral ligament injury. Would you be a little bit uh, skeptical if you were the uh, Los Angeles Angels now of taking on this guy that if you have Tommy John surgery, you're probably missing a year, year and a half of time? I'm, I'm wondering, could you say with this dual dual player so he's an outfielder and a pitcher uh-huh. would would something to consider as you being a baseball guy uh only maybe letting him play in the outfield this year versus letting him play in the outfield and pitch hey look they're paying all that money because he throws 102 <laughs> miles an hour there are a lot of great outfielders out there i'm sure he's a stud outfielder but the reason they're paying him all that money he throws 102 miles an hour which there aren't that many guys doing that so, so have you seen yet? Is he a closer? Is he a starter? Or do we know anything? He looks like he's uh, been he's been deemed a starter because they say he will start and then probably play. You know, he'll take a day off. I think they said, and then it looks at it like they're going to try and play days uh, the second day after he pitched, third day after he pitched, possibly the fourth day, according to whether or not they need him. Uh, you know, to pitch that next game. But if he's in a four or five man rotation, they'll try and give him the day off after he pitches and then bring him back as an outfielder. Oh, so okay. Yeah, but you know they're they're paying him all the money to be a 102 mile an hour fastball pitcher. Okay. So I mean, but it's kind of cool that he's jacking home runs. I but mean, you ought to watch some of the video on him. In your career, you've had patients similar to this injury, and you've done the exact uh-huh. exact uh, yeah. treatment. 
And so talk about how the outcome was for your patient. Yeah, you know, we have, I've done this uh, several times. I used to, uh, before uh, I had uh, Dr. Jennifer Johnson uh, come in and do this in my practice, I used to do uh, platelet-rich plasma injections. And the platelet-rich pl- plasma injections, I had very, very good uh, responses in young athletes to this injection. And, and I was a little bit skeptical. When things come that are new, I'm always kind of the last one to jump on the bandwagon because I always want to see how it kind of pans out scientifically. Does it truly help? Is yeah. it what we call a placebo effect? In other words, if I inject you with uh, saline, normal, normal saline, which is just you know salt water, if I inject you somewhere because I did a procedure to you and you believe it's going to help, sometimes it helps. About 30% of the time, actually, it's a pretty big what we call placebo effect from me doing something to you. So we have to run these test called double-blinded placebo-controlled test to see if, and they're randomized, so even the person doing the procedure isn't exactly sure what they're doing, yes. so you try and take out the bias and the placebo effect, and does it really, truly help? In my opinion, what I found uh, with uh, PRP injections, that it did have benefit in certain tendon ligament injuries that did not heal otherwise, and we were able to get people back playing, which I was kind of surprised. I was, I was somewhat skeptical, and then I was somewhat pleased. So if if I'm just the general public here, and I'm seeing he has a grade one UCL uh, strain. So what if like different grades say whether you had a grade two or grade three, I guess more severe, would that be a case that maybe think, okay, well, he might need surgery instead of trying a more conservative treatment as a PRP injection? Yeah, because there's been guys who've had uh, grade one ulnocollateral ligaments. Probably the most recent one that we've talked about here on the show is another Japanese pitcher, Tanaka, who played for the New York Yankees, had a ulnocollateral ligament grade one sprain and he decided to go ahead and treat it conservatively and he has done well so yeah the further the more injury there is to the ligament the more tendency there is to go towards surgery because the ligament won't do its job that's supposed to do which is stabilize the bone in your upper arm your humerus to your lower arm arm bone your uh, ulnus so what you have is you get that instability which then causes pain uh, you know which occurs in the elbow so yeah the higher the grade the more likelihood he is to go on to have surgery if he's symptomatic. Grade one, you can try these conservative things first. If he gets better, then great. Problem is, if you're paying a guy millions and millions of dollars, it's a little bit risky, man, when you're paying that kind of money to have a guy that's going to be missing a year, year and a half or so, you know, with this injury. Yeah, and you were talking about earlier, there's a little bit of investigation going on about how this stuff got leaked out. Yeah. So you think uh, from, a, I guess, a in- health HIPAA standpoint, I guess it's, crazy to see how some of this stuff gets leaked out how do you think that might have happened oh i don't know the exact but gosh there's so many different layers to this you have the japanese physicians who perform a physical exam you have the obviously the american physicians once he gets over here that do the exam you have all these reporters wanting to be the first one to get the scoop somehow some way you know how it exactly happened i don't know i just know as a physician i don't discuss someone's injury that i am their team physician yeah I don't, I don't speak about their name. I don't speak about their injury without their permission. Yeah. It's one of those tricky things when you deal with a sports medicine team. You're always – because you – remember, you're dealing with the doctor with the knowledge, the patient with the knowledge. You are including your people who work directly with them who are in your sports medicine team, the athletic trainers. Even that was questionable at one time when we first came out with all these rules about medical uh, liability for, for personal information. Could I talk? Could yeah. I even talk to the athletic trainer? And they were finally like – Duh, I have to talk to athletic trainer. <laughs> They're dealing with the athlete on a daily basis in a medical setting, so I have that ability to talk to the athletic trainer as a team physician. But then it gets tricky because then you go to coaches. Coaches want to know the specifics. You know, yeah. sh- Should they know the specifics of the injury, or should they just know 
they can play or they can't play. Yeah. I mean, so then it gets kind of tricky. Well, then you have Dr. Jerry Jones that comes out and just Boom. tells everything. There you go. It's like Jerry don't care. You're like the treating doctor, and you're like, <laughs> wait, I have to abide by these HIPAA laws, but Jerry Jones doesn't. <laughs> Jerry lives in a different world than I do for sure. Absolutely yeah. for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. It is touchy though, and I have to remind myself because you know you start getting people who are very very interested in what these injuries are. But as a team physician, I basically have taken, you know, my once again. My job is to treat the patient only. He is my, or he or she is my only concern at that point in time. So yeah. I try and protect their privacy. I try and protect, you know, the integrity of that injury, that doctor-patient relationship which we have. Do you, Dr. Dan, do you think this injury will affect his hitting at all? I mean, obviously we, we know so much of the throwing part of it, but what is there any effects of the hitting aspect with UCL? You know, does the ulnar ligament have some strain to it with hitting? Probably. But do we let most people with ulnar ligament injuries hit? Yes. So it's not nearly as much stress. And the stress from a uh, ulnar ligament, the way you put stress on it, is put your hand up in a pitching position like, you know, you're letting the ball go, you know, your arms up, hands up in the air. Yeah. Now push your hand and wrist backwards, and that's where the stress on the elbow, it's called a valgus stress on your elbow. Yeah. So think about that motion. How much stress do you get from a throwing? A lot. Yeah. How much do you get from hitting? A little. You know, as you hit, you're still, if you're, it's your right hand and you're a right-handed hitter, which is the most common combination, if you're right-handed thrower, right-handed hitter, or left-handed thrower, left-handed hitter, you're still, because it's your back arm when you're hitting, when you hit the ball, there is some stress. I have not had a ulnar collateral ligament grade one injury patient that had pain hitting. So you would think you would, but I haven't. Now, if your goal is, like, say you, you have a bad ulnar collateral injury sprain and your goal is to get back to throwing, yeah. then your hitting is going to obviously probably hinder that some. But, you know, you just got to know what your goal is if you're trying to get back to throwing or hitting or what you're trying to do. So, yeah, we usually let them hit if they're the grade one sprain. So I would see, like, uh, what we are talking about with Shohei Otani. I could see him playing the outfield but not throwing uh, as a pitcher, possibly something like that. But but you asked me that question earlier. You know, look, he's he's making millions because he throws a 102-mile-an-hour fastball, not because he's the great a great hitter, uh, you know, playing to the Japanese league, you're not going to come over and tear it up in the major leagues. Yeah, the the GM, Billy Epler, was saying, you know, every time we sign a player, we go through a long list of testing and stuff, and our scans showed us that there's not enough uh, evidence to show this is a bad move on our end. The, the scans came back relatively clean, and we're going to move forward, and yeah. we expect to have him ready to go 2018. Once again, you can have a scan that looks normal, but a patient who has symptoms. And you can have a patient who has symptoms in a scan that looks, looks normal. So you've got to or, or I should say a patient who has no symptoms who has a terrible scan. You've got to always take light in, in, into, into light the fact that if you are only talking about MRI scans, you are not a talking about my world of taking care of people. Yeah. So an MRI scan by itself that's normal is a good factor, right? Yeah. But then again, I want to take into perspective and into account, does my patient have symptoms when I valgus stress his elbow? And does he have symptoms when he throws? Yeah. If he has no symptoms when he throws, my exam is normal, and he has a normal clean MRI, I'm probably okay. But I- I- any one of those can go wrong, right? So yeah. uh, we, we've had a whole segment, and, and Dr. Andrews and I talked about that on Docs and Jocks. James Andrews probably the, the best sports medicine physician in the world, most renowned anyway. And he talked about people overinterpret MRIs all the time. Yeah. So it is not the end-all, be-all in the sports medicine world. It is taken only in light of how your patient is feeling and how his physical exam works. So just put that in mind. Hey, we'll be right back with Dr. Stephen Brown of Neurosurgery. We talk about some of the injuries out there, whether it have been spinal cord injuries, neck injuries, surgeries, and all those types of things and more 
here on Docs and Jocks when we come back. Hey, thanks for listening to your Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about our sports medicine radio show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you can find out how to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. We'd love to have you part of our social media audience as well. Hey, thanks for making our iTunes podcast one of the fastest growing podcasts out there. You can go to iTunes and you can just type in Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and our podcast pops up and you can subscribe. And man, we'd love to have you part of our show that way as well. This week's co-host is Brandon Hawk. Hawk is the longtime athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys and Texas Tech Red Raiders. He's been my producer here on Docs and Jocks the last several years. Hawk has been a great show so far, man. Good talk about uh, just concussions and uh, injections and things uh, such as the Otani injury. And so we've learned a lot today. Yeah, absolutely. Man, the concussion dilemma in the NFL continues. We've been talking about it here on the show for years, but the I think the national media is kind of catching up with this. What really how difficult of a way, how difficult it is to try and figure out a way out of this because it is just such a violent sport. How to figure out how to you know, treat these guys and have the long-term ramifications is definitely difficult. And there's no easy answer, to be honest with you. Hey, so on that note, man, we're talking about uh, the brain, and we've talked about spinal cord injuries last week with uh, Dr. Hutchins. We have in studio with us Dr. Steve Brown. Dr. Brown is a neurosurgeon, West Texas Neurosurgical Associates. And Dr. Brown is a uh, obviously not only a neurosurgeon, but he is a good friend of mine, but also more so he is a big uh, athletic Endeavor kind of guy. You love to play tennis. Your family is always going to different sporting events, a very athletic family. So it's cool to see a neurosurgeon that takes care of athletes is also an athlete himself, man. It's pretty cool to have you in the studio, too. Thank you. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So some of the big injuries in the news this week have to deal with the head and neck. And obviously, when you're talking about different injuries like spinal cord injuries, let's, I thought it would be cool for our listening audience just to hear what happens because they oftentimes will see a athlete like the injury we had last night with Brandon Williams, the Colts tight end, he was blocking for a punt. He gets hit in the head. He's taken off on a board, and we always see all the precautions that happen to try and prevent spinal cord injuries. So that guy gets taken into the ambulance, and we never see him again On, the, on you know, as a viewing audience. They never see him again. You and I have been in the ER and know what happened. You oftentimes get called in to take care of these guys, and when they have uh, spinal cord injuries, you're the, you're the guy that's now going to be taking care of them. For our listening audience standpoint, when they get to the ER and they're on a board and they're strapped in and you're worried about a neck injury or spinal cord injury, kind of walk them through what happens at that point. Sure. Yeah, so we always see that on TV. They are uh, immobilized on the field. Uh, Trainers rush out there and hold their helmet still, put them on the backboard, maybe put them in a neck brace, strap them down, and then uh, they uh, drive them off the ambulance to the hospital. Then uh, I only see that on TV. I don't ever see that in real <laughs> yeah, life. Right. I see the other side yes, that you're talking right. about um, in the hospital, in the emergency room. So um, I guess the first thing when the patient arrives is uh, the ABCs, the, the airway, breathing, circulation. That's the first thing that the, the doctors and nurses that are in the emergency room at the time are going to uh, be paying attention to is the patient uh, have an airway, meaning uh, is there are they moving air? Um, is there something uh, causing problems with the airway? Are they breathing, um, and is their blood pressure okay? Because let's face it, if they're not doing those things, it's going to go south real fast. So right. you if don't have to worry about doing, spinal cord injury if they're not doing those things. Exactly. If they're not doing those things, you, you can't uh, skip ahead to uh, you know, figuring out what's wrong with their spine if those things aren't 
functioning properly. So that's the uh, initial workup. And then um, once, uh, and sometimes in a spinal cord injury, if it's a very high spinal, cervical spinal cord injury, uh, some of those functions may not be working. They may not be breathing well. Their diaphragm may not be strong enough to move air, and uh, they may have a, a lack of oxygen that will have to be, re may require putting in a breathing tube and put the, putting the patient on a ventilator. So those are real injuries that uh, uh, could be initially very severe and need prompt treatment. And then once uh, the ABCs have been taken care of, it's, uh, uh, then you start trying to figure out you know, what's going on with the spine. Um, when uh, a patient comes in for like a, after a car accident or something, the initial workup used to be um, a lateral C-spine x-ray, a cervical spine x-ray, a chest x-ray, and a pelvic film, uh, or a pelvic x-ray. Um, because those are the, the big things. If, those, if there's something wrong there, then you uh, look at those things first. And we don't always do those anymore because uh, uh, the, ready, uh, the readily available CT scans that we have. So, right. Um, sometimes and a CT scan for a listening audience is like a three-dimensional x-ray, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, um, a scan that uh, uh, is looking mostly at the bone, bony tissue, to uh, see if there's a fracture or a malalignment. But that's usually one of the first uh, uh, studies that we'll order to look if see if someone's had a spinal cord injury or some sort of spine injury. And so um, uh, before then, the patient obviously comes in immobilized, uh, possibly in a cervical collar. If they're not in a collar, they'll probably put them in one uh, right. right away uh, while maintaining uh, stability of their cervical spine, keeping their head and neck still while they're putting that on. Um, the patient will be turned over on their side, um, what we call a log roll. So uh, there'll be uh, someone holding the head. Uh, there'll be uh, a couple of nurses maybe uh, pulling the patient to the side, and then the doctor will be inspecting the, the patient's back. Uh, looking for any sort of tenderness or step-offs, right. malalignment of the spine. And so then uh, it's important to not leave the patient on the backboard for too long because that can start to cause skin breakdown or yeah. other problems. So, so we usually get them off the backboard fairly quickly and then get them to the uh, CT scanner. So the CT scan is the, the first um, uh, big uh, test that we do to try to figure out, is there a broken bone? Is there a malalignment of the spine? Is there something... Uh, that needs attention there. You know what's amazing is a neurosurgeon, probably our listening audience may not be aware, but you had to go through something. I was trying to figure do the math in my head, but over 10 plus years, 10 to 15 years of training so that when that guy comes in, because I was just thinking, you know, uh, it's so scary when they come in. If you're a family member and someone has a C3, C4, a really high cervical injury, that's a pretty scary moment for everybody involved. And and that's what your training has done over those, you know, over a decade of training, taking care of patients who've had really severe injuries to their cervical spine when we see it on the field and they're motionless and then we put backboard them and we're sending them off to the er man thank goodness there are guys like you who have went through those long sleepless nights of being on call all the time and taking care of those traumatic injuries people don't often understand the rigors of going through a neuros neurosurgical residency and how long it takes to get there but thank goodness you did that well thank you i, th I think it's it's really tough and um especially the first time you see a patient in a situation like that, it is very emotional, and uh, it still is, even no matter how many times you take care of a patient with spinal cord injury. It's probably the most you know, life-altering uh, injury that someone could have, other than maybe a brain injury, but um, you, you know, if a person has a spinal cord injury, they don't always recover from that, and that uh, obviously severely impacts the, the rest of their life. You know, um, People that have had spinal cord injuries, um, they sort of think about life before my injury and after my injury because it's such a life-changing thing. And uh, um, it does take um, being exposed to it a lot, seeing a lot of those injuries, and getting used to treating them to uh, 
uh, not uh, you know get too excited or emotional about it, so that you can focus on you know what's the best thing to do for the patient and not get wrapped up in all everything else that's going on. Yeah, you're talking about those ABCs, you know, taking care of the airway, breathing, circulation, making sure those are all okay. I still remember my very first day as an intern in internal medicine at Baylor. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm so nervous. My first day is like a doctor being there, and like people are calling me Dr. Munn, and I like, don't even know who they're talking to. And uh, I remember the very first lecture they had come talk to us. And, and now looking back, it was so smart. Dr. Fortran, who was head of internal medicine, did it purposefully. And he got to come talk to us about <clears throat> taking care of the patient who was on their, was basically on their way out. You know, how do you do what we call advanced cardiac life support? How do you do, how do you take care of that patient? And the reason the guy came up there, and here's the first thing he said, and it always made sense to me. If you know how to take care of the worst thing, everything else is pretty okay. You'll figure out the rest of it. But if you can take the worst case scenario and you know what to do in those situations, not panic, you're going to be okay. So I always remember that. So when you're talking about, even as a neurosurgeon, your first thing is airway, breathing, circulation. Is my patient okay? That's really where it starts at. And what's so critical too is those first few minutes and hours of a spinal cord injury they really, they determine a lot of the outcome down the road. So having a great team like you're talking about when they go in the ER and having a good neurosurgeon, that makes a huge deal long term. Exactly. Um, it's very important to uh, identify the problem. And if it's something that uh, needs surgical treatment, to try to do that as promptly as possible. Um, uh, if it's uh, a patient that has uh, hypotension or low blood pressure from a uh, high cervical spine injury, you need to support their blood pressure to maintain perfusion to the uh, injured spinal cord to uh, minimize the risk of worsening of that injury. Um, and then if their spine is unstable, you need to you know, get it stabilized, uh, whether that be externally just with a collar or surgically by going in and stabilizing the spines that way. Hey, we're doc talking to Dr. Steve Brown of neurosurgery here on Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. Hawk, I think you have a question for Dr. Brown? Yeah, Dr. Brown. So when, when you're in a surgery with a, with a patient with a pretty severe spinal cord injury, when you when you're actually in the spine of the patient, are you are you realizing like, hey, this is how bad it's going to be for this patient down the road? Are you able to tell? Because when we, people are talking about, hey, how is this going to recover? How is this nerve going to come back? Are you, are you able to see like while you're in the surgery, like, hey, this is probably how bad this is going to be, or is it really tough to tell? It's tough to tell because most of the time uh, when we're doing a surgery for an injury like that, we're not necessarily looking at the spinal cord. The spinal cord has a covering called the dura, and uh, then outside the dura, there's the bony spine uh, or ligaments that surround the spinal cord. And so uh, sometimes we may not even have to uh, remove that bone to stabilize the spine. So sometimes we don't even have to remove that part of the bone. Sometimes we do. If the spinal cord is compressed, then we will uh, remove bone, remove disc, or, uh, or a hematoma, whatever's compressing the spinal cord. And so then we will uh, remove that and see that covering of the spinal cord, but we're not necessarily always looking at the spinal cord itself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if it's a real severe injury, there may be a tear in that dura, that covering of, of the spinal cord, and spinal fluid may be coming out. And so in that case, we may be able to see the spinal cord, but really you can't really tell how bad the injury is just by what it looks like externally. Mm -hmm. um, we have a better gauge of uh, how bad the injury is based on the patient's uh, neurologic function before the injury and then, of course, after the injury, um, or maybe based on a scan, like an MRI scan. So if you see a severely swollen and contused spinal cord, and if the patient has no strength or sensation, no movement or uh, feeling in their legs, then you know that's probably not going to be a very uh, good outcome. They're probably going to have a, uh, a complete spinal cord injury, meaning by that uh, never have return of function of uh, sensation or movement in the legs, 
or arms if it's in the cervical spine, or um, uh, even problems with controlling bowel and bladder function, uh, real high sp cervical spinal cord injuries like Christopher Reeve have trouble breathing, they may have uh, need assistance of a ventilator or have uh, acutely problems with blood pressure or even maybe sometimes long-term problems with blood pressure control. Uh, the autonomic nervous system is part of the uh, uh, control of those things and, and that can be affected as well. So it's hard to tell just in the surgery how bad it's going to be, but we have clues of how bad it's going to be based on what their function is before the injury, before we go in, and what their imaging studies like their MRI scan looks like. Hey, Dr. Brown, we just saw uh, Ryan Shazier, the leading tackler for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, a linebacker for them. He had a fracture dislocation, is what was reported in the news. We don't have many more details of that. It's probably in the lower cervical spine just based on watching the injury. They just uh, reported today that he is now uh, getting ready to go to rehab. He is stabilized after his surgery, and he's going to rehab. So I know you don't know the specifics of his case, but in general, when you have a spinal cord injury and you've done a surgery to repair the fracture and to uh, try and uh, remove the pressure off the spinal cord, kind of give us what, when do you think patients are able to go to rehab? What does stabilized mean to you? So there's, I guess, two uh, uh, things to consider when you're talking about is the patient stable. One is their spine stable. Um, this, this patient, most likely, like you said, I don't have any uh, personal uh, knowledge of his case, but um, uh, in his situation, uh, he had uh, some sort of stabilizing surgery to uh, put back together his spine. Like you said, maybe it was fractured or dislocated. Um, so you would sort of try to realign that surgically and then put in some sort of uh, instrumentation, likely screws and rods or a plate, to hold everything in place. Uh, probably put down bone graft to get the bones to fuse and grow back together. And uh, so once that occurs, the patient's spine is usually almost immediately stable by the, the instrumentation that we put in that holds everything in place. Now, long-term stability will depend on if the fracture and the bone fusion heals. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, long-term, if that doesn't happen, then eventually the screws and, and uh, rods or whatever we put in to temporarily hold it in place will um, uh, eventually fail if the bones don't grow together. So uh, stabilization of the spine is the, the first thing. Then is the patient medically stable, meaning um, you know, did they lose a lot of blood during surgery? Did they have blood transfusions? Uh, um, is there incision healing? Um, uh, did they have any complications like uh, pneumonia or blood clot or anything that you know needs some sort of medical treatment? If that's not happening, then probably pretty soon after the patient has their surgery, if their pain's out of control, that they can start getting up and working with physical therapy, then it's time to start them, uh, get them going to rehab. The, the faster you can get to rehab, probably the better. Um, to work on getting strength. You know, does every patient is different. I'm a rehabilitation physician, so I've worked a lot with neurosurgeons like Dr. Brown over the years, especially in my uh, residency where we were taking patients and trying to get them in that rehab setting. But if you had a Ryan Shazier who has to be an overachiever, he became a middle linebacker in the NFL. He's a guy that obviously has really good strength to start with and obviously is in really good shape. It does help if you have that type of patient long-term to try and get them rehabilitated. The motivation the patient has actually plays a big big part of the outcome. Absolutely, and I've uh, witnessed that firsthand. You know, I've had uh, young, very motivated patients who, um, uh, you know, I tell them, you know, that you may never walk again, you may never be able to do this again. They love to prove you and wrong. And they want to prove you <laughs> yes, wrong. They really yes. do. And I've had yeah. them come back and say, 
you told me I wouldn't walk in and look at me now. So yeah. I'm very happy to see that when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to be proved wrong in that case. Hey, if you ever want to go see Dr. Steve Brown, man, he's with uh, the West Texas Neurosurgical Associates here in Abilene, Texas. A great group, uh, great group of all those guys, Dr. Edelman, Dr. Uh, Brown, Dr. Trammell, Dr. Hutchins. Man, it's been great having you on air. Uh, Thanks. Can, I love the fact that you're not only a neurosurgeon, but you're also staying healthy and exercising, and you and your kids are out there doing it together. Man, I appreciate you being Thank on you. the show. Thank you. All right. Hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Great to have you with us today. Hey, we are a radio studio here. It comes out of the Forge Abilene. If you ever want to find out more about the Forge Abilene, and if it might be the place for you to do your sports training, man, just go to ForgeAbilene.com. And, uh, man, we'd love to have you be part of our uh, workout facility as well. Speaking of working out, uh, my guest host this week is... Brandon Hawk filling in for the great Ferris Potter. Brandon is the uh, former Dallas Cowboys and Texas Tech Red Raiders uh, athletic trainers, also the producer here of Docs and Jocks over the last several years. Man, uh, we saw a great group of young uh, athletes as, w- as a lot of the college guys returning from their uh, Christmas break right now, but also joined in with our adult classes. Man, a great group of people out there working out. Yeah, you know, it's great to see not only just young people, but people of all ages. All ages. Seven to 70. Actually, there's people older than 70 in our facility. <laughs> so uh, it's great to see a great group. Great big group of people working out this time of year. You know what? People oftentimes make New Year's resolutions. I'll, I would say this after doing this for the last six years, uh, working out at the Forge Abilene. I would tell them that this, if you were going to start a workout training program that basically would allow you to do the type of workout that you need to do to begin a New Year's to start a new way of life, this would definitely be a type of workout that allows you to do that because you're in a small group setting. So you're yeah. not with a, you know, you're with a group of like peers, but you have a coach at every visit. So that coach helps you with form, helps you, gives you a workout plan. He's there during the workout if you have any questions, and uh, he or she can help you out in any way you need during the workout. So it's a good way to kind of dip your toe into working out without having to kill yourself right off the bat. Because you know you go into a place where, and nothing against it, do whatever type of workout works for you. But a place where you don't have that coaching available or have it in a small group setting, you're unlikely to stick with them. That's the problem we have with a lot of New Year's resolutions. People go to a visit, visit a place where it's just a you know a box-type workout facility, and they yeah. don't have any accountability because they don't have a group with them. They don't have a coach pushing them. They, don't have, they have to figure out their own workouts. So that's why I like the Four Javelins so well because it does such a great job of encompassing a lot of things that will keep you with it. Yeah, and I think the biggest misconception is, and I experienced this myself when I started here three years ago, is that everyone in here has it figured out, and everyone here has been working out for a long time. And some of the stuff was a little new to me, even though I've been in the sports medicine world for a long time. But uh, some of the weightlifting stuff was new to me. I wasn't ever a huge weightlifter. Uh, I was more of a runner, tennis player, golfer. And so some of the stuff was new to me. And so uh, the greatest thing is, like you said, a bunch of these peers here actually showed me and helped me get to where i am today to put on 30 to 40 pounds of muscle right exactly yeah so whatever your goal is whether it's to lose weight gain weight get better shape have a better quality of life remember hawk you and i talk about this a lot i bring it up i'm going to start bringing it up every show because i think i've done the last (laughs) five now there's an epidemic of weakness among us in in our current state of where we're at as americans i'm just telling you i see it all day in my day job at texas sport and spine people come in they have 
very little ability to do simple activities such as roll themselves over easily, get up off of a table, uh, sit themselves up easily because they have no core strength. If your core, which remember all you are is a box with four little pendulums hanging off of it, if that core, that box is not stable, if it wobbles, you will have back pain, your hips will hurt, your knees will hurt, you have foot and ankle problems. So it is the start of a lot of things that happen in your body as it breaks down. So if you can go back and change one thing that is going to make you a have a better quality of life as you age, it's all about doing core stability, strengthening exercises. Let me stress this. Strengthening exercises do not include <laughs> walking, walking on a treadmill, elliptical. I am not saying anything against those things. Yeah. But if you want to have strength, you have to do strengthening. If walking, elliptical, and uh, you know treadmills increased your strength, every power lifter and bodybuilder would be doing those as as their biggest part of their routine. They don't add muscle mass. So if you want to add strength, you have to add some muscle. And to add muscle, you have to do exercises that are lifting some resistance training or some type of weight that breaks the muscle down and builds strength as you go on. So if you want to have a good quality of life, do strengthening exercises. If you're out of shape, start with core strengthening exercises. If you don't know what those are, get with a good physical therapist, a good strength and conditioning coach, a good physician, Anyone who knows, an athletic trainer that you know that can start you on those simple exercises. Yeah, like you said, Dr. Dan, the biggest thing is people are so scared and think that they have to come in here and lift the heaviest weight, you know, push the biggest amount of weight, and just starting small and lifting small amounts of weight and build yourself up to get to that point. Not everyone comes in here and can bench 300 pounds every day. Right, yeah, very few can. But the there way. is definitely a place in here for those for people that who want to do start, that too. Yeah, we're yeah. there for them too, but, but – we have weights in here that go down as small as two pounds. By the way, the guy who weigh, lifts uh, benches 300 pounds started somewhere, right? Absolutely. I'm one of those guys, by the way, when I first came in here, I bet my max was 235, and I went up. I worked with Coach Hess on a long-term basis trying to get stronger, eventually got to 360. So yeah. you can start anywhere and go to wherever you want to go, however much effort and time and you want to put into it. But, yeah, if you're already a guy that can do lift a lot of weight, then, man, go be, go, so be it. And you, There's that class for you, too, strength trainings. All for you. But if you want to be a person who's just starting out on your New Year's resolution and get in shape, then in the Forge Abilene is a place for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to switch gears a little bit about a different age group. And I want to talk specifically to the kids. To, so the parents out there listening, you need to get your kids in something like this. We have classes that are designed to work on the basic skills for your kids. We're not here. We're not in here doing groundbreaking things we're working on basic functions with these kids and the confidence levels that increases it changes their confidence levels yes. over time like I mean, nothing else and so if you don't believe me bring your kid in here for a week we won't charge you a dime and and just see the difference the yep. social just physical all those things going into one it just it just as a parent i've seen it with my six-year-old daughter and it's amazing and you've seen the same thing i've your seen son. some uh, seven eight nine-year-olds that came in here when they first came in here they walked with their head down they were overweight they were out of shape they had no self-confidence and after doing the class for a period of weeks and months they came in with a different air about them now they're talking to the coaches their heads are up they have confidence they're slimming down they're in better shape but they're yeah. just the overall thing that you're talking about their mental attitude and confidence changes yes not just their physical body but their mental abilities Absolutely. i'm just telling you so anyway try it out man you get a free trial hawk just gave you there he's the uh he is the general manager of the Forge Abilene, so he's the guy that gives you the free, free uh, trial. So if you want to come in and try it for a week, he just he just threw that out there. I think that was a I think that was a throwdown challenge, Hawk. Absolutely, <laughs> bring it on, bring it on, man. Forge it on. will it will definitely make a difference for you. The Forge
Hey, Adrian uh, Peterson, the Arizona Cardinals uh, star running back, uh, one of the greatest uh, running backs in the NFL all time, he is done for the year. And uh, it was interesting, his comments. He said uh, he is done for the year due to a neck injury. And his quote was, when they asked him about the neck injury, he said, the good news is I don't require surgery. Yeah. So I thought we would talk a little bit about when we just came off an interview with Dr. Stephen Brown of neurosurgery. We probably should have uh, asked him this question, but we ran out of time with all the other interesting topics. By the way, if you want to go back and listen to that previous interview, you can do so by going to docsjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. But um, Adrian Peterson, we said, the good news is I don't require surgery. So surgery for the cervical spine. So neck pain. I'm going to ask you this question, Hawk, you know, because you work with me all the time. <laughs> but do you think the regular regular person understands that neck surgery is not for neck pain? No, because no. I didn't know until I started working with you. Yeah, because the typical neck surgery that you have done is for radiculopathy. In other words, a pinched nerve in your neck. That's, that's a big fancy word for that. So that gives you arm pain. So when a surgeon goes in and removes the disc in your neck that is herniated or pushing on the nerve, which is one of the common things, Uh, that will cause severe pain to go down your arm that's usually for nerve pain and even then a lot of times it will get better with non-surgical treatments such as physical therapy medications Uh, we use uh, chiropractic treatments for acute pain um, injections such as epidural steroid injections so there are treatments other than surgery even for radiculopathy don't get me wrong if you have a pinched nerve and it's causing pain down your arm does not mean you need to go surgery immediately but if you have neck pain unfortunately neck surgery, a fusion surgery for your neck does not relieve your neck pain. The most common cause of neck pain itself is that you get arthritis in your neck. As we age, we get arthritis. You've all seen people wear glasses. They're elderly little ladies that are forward stooped and they're wearing bifocals and they cock their head up. It gives you a tremendous amount of neck pain as we age. So a lot of times neck pain, those little joints are what's causing. It's just like arthritis in your fingers. You have arthritis in your neck that will cause neck pain as well. So first of all, neck pain is not an indication for neck surgery. So there you go, if you didn't know that. <laughs> the other thing is surgery for a pinched nerve in your neck that radiates down your arm is usually only indicated if you tried multiple things that, that typically get rid of pain, like the things we just talked about, injections, physical therapy, time. If it continues to get to where it's just not bearable for you, the pain isn't. Or if the nerve is pinched so tightly that it does not allow the muscle that it innervates or supplies to work correctly. In other words, you... Uh, you know, your triceps is the muscle in the back of your arms. Instead of being able to extend your arm, not that you can't extend it because of pain, but you tell it to extend against resistance, and you can't do it. That's weakness in the triceps. And the nerve that goes to that triceps area, if it gets pinched tightly enough, that's your C7 nerve, it would cause you to be weak. So weakness, you don't want to let go on too long because even if you take the pressure off the nerve, it may stay on you, and you don't want to have a weak arm your entire life. If your pain is too severe that you can't tolerate it and you've had the pain too long, here's a big one. I'm just going to throw this out there, Hawk, so our listening audience. You do not have surgery for MRI findings. Can yeah. I, I'm just going to say that again. You do not have surgery for MRI findings. We have people all the time that have disc herniations that are big that do not have symptoms in that area. It does not matter that your MRI showed you have a disc protrusion. People have asymptomatic in other words, they do not cause any symptoms and have large disc herniations and disc protrusions. I got a I got a great story that I was reading earlier that makes your point exactly. The Otani situation. The GM mentioned that he had a grade one UCL sprain on his MRI. Yeah. He said we are not concerned because this 
imaging shows specifically to how old he is and what he's been doing for so it's a completely normal finding even though yeah it's abnormal right but for his age and what he's been doing it's completely normal i'm gonna ask you a question as far as the lumbar spine world goes so if you did mris on everybody in the general population that was walking down the street everyone who walks past uh the four javelin today we do mris on all of them would the majority of them have a normal mri or would a majority of them have an abnormal mri Probably abnormal. Abnormal. Yeah. So that's the that's the asymptomatic world. The people who have no symptoms at all yeah. have the majority of the time have an abnormal finding. So doing surgery or doing anything, epidural steroid injections, on people because of an MRI finding is a bad way to do medicine. I'm just, just I'm talking to everybody. So yeah. I get patients that come in all the time and they've had an MRI. The MRI says xyz and they are freaked out about it and i'm like how do you feel they're like i don't have any pain i'm like great let's put this mri away let's put it in our back pocket so if you were to develop symptoms that fit with this finding we would then talk about it i get people that come in all the time we've i've done a procedure on them to try and relieve their pain such as an epidural steroid injection and their pain down their arm or their leg is now gone but their, their main concern when they come back to see me, what are we going to do about the disc protrusion? <laughs> I'm like, nothing. We're going to do nothing about it. Because I treat people, not imaging studies. Every surgeon, doctor, uh, sports medicine doctor like myself, physiatrist is what I'm called, we treat people. So yeah. I don't treat imaging studies. If you have a disc protrusion and it does not cause you any symptoms, we are not rocking the boat. We are not sending you to a surgeon to have a disc protrusion that is asymptomatic taken out. So I'm uh, I'm privileged every most every day to sit in with Dr. Bond and do these nerve studies we do on all his patients. And the best thing is when he'll say, "Okay, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me your story. You know what what they feel." And the best thing is when they start reading off their MRI findings. Yes, we had that happen like, today. You're like, no, no, Yesterday, no, no. Yeah. I want to know what you feel, not yeah. what it, the imaging. I've already read the imaging. I don't want to know what someone's told you. I don't know what the. Uh, I don't want to know about your MRI findings. What you, What are your symptoms? And then they'll stop and they'll they'll think and then they'll start their story about okay well this started back when I had to start having some tingling and now I got symptoms that I'm trying to figure out where that started and what's causing those symptoms it may have to do with their MRI finding have may have nothing to do with it many many times people have MRI findings that when we do the tests have absolutely nothing to do with the results that we end up finding out where the problem is. Yeah, you know, we were privileged yesterday for the four Javelin staff or Dr. Dan to come do a little in-service on back pain and all these kind of general things that he's speaking to us now. And the coaches after that meeting were like, gosh, I learned so much. That was awesome. And so it's just getting the education out there about, hey, this is what that means. You know, back pain doesn't always mean surgery. No. You know, all these different things that the outside world thinks they know, but they have no idea. Yeah, yeah, because you can get yourself in a lot of trouble, man, when you start talking about MRI findings and I need surgery because of this MRI finding or this MRI, some, something else. So, uh, man, you just got to know when you, what the limitations of those imaging studies are. So, hey, I, I want to say uh, thank you to all our wonderful well, I guess we've had on. But, man, we've had on uh, Dr. Stephen Brown earlier. We are going to have on now, we're going to have our Mental Strength Minute with Miss lovely Miss Tracy Munton is going to be coming on. And let me tell you a little bit about the Edge Mental Strength. If you ever want to find out how you or your son or daughter can improve athletically using your mental strength, the, the uh, Edge Mental Strength, which you can go to docsandjocks.com and click on that Edge icon and find out about it. It is a great way to get better. Here's Miss Tracy Munn with our Mental Strength Minute. When an athlete gets injured, it can be devastating to him. The injury may keep him out of sports for a few weeks, months, or even the whole season. 
Many athletes don't really know how to handle this time away from practice and competition. They may become extremely frustrated, despondent, and even depressed. The athlete may work hard on his recovery and physical therapy, but still feel isolated and distant from his team. What many athletes don't realize is that this rehab time is perfect for him to work on building mental strength and toughness. The athlete can not only work on dealing with his recovery, but can work on multiple issues that can help him return to play. This can include goal setting, working on confidence, and dealing with any fears that may arise due to being sidelined. It is also important for the athlete to learn ways to stay connected to his team and continue to feel like he's contributing. If you or an athlete you know has been injured and would like to work on these issues, you can contact The Edge Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan coming to you from inside the Forge Radio Studio. Man, if you ever want to find out more about the Forge Abilene and the sports training facility we're doing our broadcast out of, you can do so by going to theforgeabilene.com. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician. Uh, My co-host this week is Brandon Hawk, former athletic trainer for the Dallas Cowboys and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And we have a very uh, interesting uh, interview here coming up, Hawk. And uh, I'm going to introduce Jaden Hill. Jaden, you may not know his name yet. You're going to know his name in the near future. Jaden is one of the up-and-coming best pitching prospects in the country. And, uh, Jaden, first of all, thank you for being on Docs and Jocks. How you doing? Doing good, doing good. And uh, the interview came about because Jaden's uh, grandmother works for me at uh, Texas Sport and Spy in my day job, and she brought me Jaden's baseball card. Jaden's a, you know, a, a 2018 grad, and he is uh, getting ready to go on to either play baseball for the, uh, LSU or he's going to go in the Major League Baseball draft. But she brought me this baseball card of Jaden where he pitched in the Under Armour All-America game at Wrigley Field. And I said, Sandra, I said, your grandson's like one of the best pitchers in the country. This is one of the premier events in all the country, the Under Armour All-America game at Wrigley Field. That's a really big deal. And she goes, well, I knew it was kind of a big deal. I didn't know it was that big a deal. So, Jaden, it's nice to stay humble from your family members. Your grandmother knew it was kind of a big deal, but it was a huge deal. What was it like being selected to the Under Armour All-American game at Wrigley Field, probably the biggest event for the young pitching prospects coming up, all baseball prospects coming up in the nation? Tell us what it was like pitching for them. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing experience. It was it was something I've never experienced before. I've always pitched you know, you know, there are fans here and there. But being around some of the top guys in the yeah. country and also with scouts being everywhere and there's actually a big fan base there and there were people there who knew me. Yeah. And I was in Chicago. Yeah, I'm from a small town in Ashdown and I was in Chicago. People knew who I was and just giving, getting the opportunity to live out a big time dream like that to see what my future could possibly be like. It was an amazing experience. Yeah, you're from a small town in Arkansas, but you are not a small man. You are six foot four, 220 pounds, 17 year old who throws mid to low 90s fastball. Hey, tell me how, when in your career, you know, baseball is always one of those, and I played baseball, played college baseball at the Division One level, so, you know, I, I grew up knowing I could, I was good, but when did you think, wow, maybe I could make a college career out of this, or maybe I can play professionally at this? At what level did you and your dad and your parents start thinking about those types of things? Uh, it was mainly uh, last summer. Uh, I went on some uh, summer trips in um my coach, my summer league coach, Chase Brewster, he took me to some games and I started throwing harder during the summer and guys were starting to look at me and they were like, this guy has potential. He has a very big upside to everything. And I was real, I'm real, just, you know, athlete that can throw hard and stuff like that. 
but then college just started reaching out, and I see I thought that this may be something I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And then as I progressed through the summer, you know, it started getting more serious or serious. Yeah, when you and start so hitting, that's when I started realizing. When you start hitting that ninety-five mile an hour uh, gun number, schools like uh, LSU, probably one of the premier baseball programs in the country, those guys start coming calling. How did you uh, pick LSU? What uh, what made you uh, verbally commit to go to uh, become a LSU Tiger? Well, well obviously they have a tradition of winning, so they really got my attention. You yeah, know, that's the most obvious thing. But uh, the pitchers, the coaching staff, uh, I really like Coach Manier and the way he operates with LSU and also Coach Dunn, the pitching coach. He's an amazing guy. He has a lot of success in his past, and so I'm just ready to work with someone like him. You know what's amazing, too, about Jaden Hill? That's who we're interviewing here on Docs and Jocks, one of the top pitching prospects in the country. Uh, Jaden is also a uh, premier star football player. You've been recruited by Big Ten schools, schools from all over the country uh, for football yes, as well. So what made you choose baseball over football, given you really had both options on the table? Uh, just the the better path. I thought it, it, I might have a better opportunity playing baseball than football. There's a lot more that goes into it with football, and I figured that baseball may be something that fits me more and that's something I really can adapt to. And they just seem like the better path for me to take yeah. for me in the future. Right. Hawk, you have a question for Jaden? Yeah. Hey, Jaden. So you, you grew up in Arkansas. You live in Arkansas. Obviously, there's yes, a sir. really good baseball program right there <laughs> in Arkansas. So how, how, is, how has that been with the coaches of Arkansas try, probably trying to keep you home and uh, realizing that you might be going elsewhere? Um, it, it was tough. They, um. They they really you know, they really recruited me hard. I really liked um, Coach Johnson, the new pitching coach that they got, and I, I really really liked him. But I knew once I visited that that place, it just didn't fit for me. It just wasn't a place that I wanted to go to. I mean, they they have a great baseball program, but the vibe whenever I was there just didn't fit me like I expected. And Jade, I was looking up, I was reading some of your bio, and uh, it says that not only do you throw a mid nineties fastball, but you also have been working on your off-speed, including a uh, slider and a change-up. Tell us what your pitches are in your arsenal and what you've been working on. Um, my change-up uh, has really become dominant for me. For uh, left-handed hitters, it's really become uh, very good because the spin and the, my uh, arm movement stays the same throughout it, and it has a lot of tail to it. And then my slider, is still, um, it's pretty good right now, but I'm still de- trying to develop it so it can become one of my strikeout pitches. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, man. I, I uh, when I got to Division One level playing college baseball, the slider was the great separator of who went on and who did not go on. And obviously, I did not go my, on. So my brother told me the same thing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that stupid slider. Yeah, especially being a right-handed hitter for a big guy like you, six foot four, right-handed pitcher. You throw that slider, it looks like it's gonna hit you in the knee, and it's an outside <laughs> strike, man. And it breaks late. I mean, I, I, if I had any uh, suggestion or advice for you, I would say keep on working on that slider, man. Yes, sir. That's what I'm working on. Absolutely, Brandon. Yeah, hey, Jaden, you know, Dr. Dan here just mentioned moving on. So, obviously, there's a Major League Baseball draft coming up. So, have you even looked at that, of the options? Are you saying, hey, I'm just going to go the college route and do that? Or are you still keeping your options open for the Major League Amateur draft coming up? Um, It is for sure an option because, I mean, that's the long-time goal. The long-time goal, anyway, to be a, you know, a a Major League pitcher and, you know, stay in Major League pitcher. So, it's for sure an option. But right now, I'm just trying to enjoy high school. And just, you know, get through this, having fun, and then whatever happens after. Right. Hey, what are you doing in your off-season uh, throwing program? I mean, there's lots of them out there. We hear people doing long toss, and there's, uh, you know, uh, the Texas Baseball Ranch is located here 
Montgomery, Texas. Yes, they do one called Durathrow. What are you doing uh, off-season training-wise to keep your arms strong and trying to prevent those injuries that seem like they plague a lot of pitchers later in their career? Um, right now, I'm still trying to figure out my body. I'm a young pitcher, but I'm also trying to figure out a lot of recovery things and things that help me a lot. I haven't really been a fan of you know, the driveline program and things like that. Well, I haven't tried it. I've been real basic. Uh, I try to stay small and just do a lot of band work and running. Yeah. And also swimming. Swimming has helped me out tremendously. Wow, that's a great one. We talk a lot about that here on Docs and Jocks, how swimming is a very good core stabilization, core strengthening program, which if you really look at pitching, it's a lot like hitting. You develop your strength from those, right. your, your pelvis, your, your leg drive, and then that core muscles stabilizing you through the throw. So that's a great – man, I think that's a great offseason – a program if you're doing a lot of swimming. We don't hear that one very often, but, uh, man, it's very, very smart. It's probably why Hawk, probably why Jaden is the number one pitching prospect in all of Arkansas and, and others aren't, man. Absolutely. Maybe. I, I don't think I've heard any young guy mention swimming. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's good. Awesome. I like that. Good for you, Jaden. Hey, Jaden, uh, how do you figure out, you know, it's very difficult. For people who don't know the travel baseball world and what you do in the select baseball world, there are so many different options out there. There's showcases like Perfect Game. There's prep baseball report there's a yes, baseball factory under armor which that's the one that you went to the uh under armor all american game in wrigley field with how did you figure out which of those showcases did you do did you try all of them a little bit did you like one better than the other did how did you figure out how to get through that swamp i call it um it was hard because there there is a lot of events that people go on and i was really unaware of how, all of that i had no idea that people had even through tournaments like that but um, I talked to Chase Brewster, my summer coach, and he knows tons and tons of people. And also, I talked to him with my advisor, you know, what was the things to go to and what were things not to. And I just got blessed to go to the right tournament. I, I'm not really sure how all of them work. I'm still learning. I was still learning at the time. But the events that I went to are for sure something that people would, would, would want to go to. Right. And I guarantee at those events, you had some uh, scouts. And let me tell you how this works for those who don't maybe have never been to one of these events. So there's usually a showcase event where you do, like, uh, pitchers will do, like, their arm velocity. You'll do, hitters will do BP for the coaches. Well, I tell you what, when they start the games or there's a pitcher throwing in the mid-90s who's six foot four, 220 pounds, all the scouts and all the coaches are sitting behind with guns and looking at that dude. And then as soon as he leaves, guess what? They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> They're gone. <Yeah. laughs> so, Jade, my, my son won one of these, and he was uh, there was a pitcher throwing like you. He was a lefty throwing mid 90s. And I didn't, this is what he was pretty young. He was like his freshman year. And so I didn't, I thought maybe these scouts were at all these games. So I see all these scouts. I'm like, oh, what a great event. My son is going to get seen by all these scouts. Well, that pitcher pitched the first inning. He, he packed up and left, and all those dudes left. I'm like, oh, I've got this figured out now, man. <laughs> you throw 90, they're going to come watch you. So, yeah, they're really, really fun events. So has it been a really a, a fun eye-opener for you, being from a small town in Arkansas, to be able to play with all these really top dogs all across the country, whether it's pitching or you pitched against some of the best hitters. The All-American uh, game at Wrigley Field that you went to, you were facing some of the best guys in all the country. Has that really been a, a fun thing for you? Yes, sir. It's been very mind-blowing because – I mean, growing up, you play small travel ball. You know, here in Arkansas, you may go to Dallas. You know, that's really the biggest thing that you've done. But just knowing that there's so much more talent out in the world and getting to meet new people, it, it was an amazing time. I got to travel and I got to live like a, a major league pitcher or major league player. Yeah. And it, it was very mind-blowing because you don't get to see – a lot of people here don't, don't get to see the things that I got to. Right. right. And so it was just amazing for me to be able to experience that. 
Yeah, we're talking Jaden Hill. He's the number one pitching prospect out of the state of Arkansas, six foot four, two hundred twenty pound right hander who throws in the uh, mid low nineties. And uh, Jaden, you know, people forget that you're also currently you're, you're one of the top pitching prospects, but you're also a student. You're in high school right now, having to do studies. You've committed to go to LSU, so if you go the college route, you're also going to have to work in your studies. Tell us how you balance that, uh, trying to be a student at the same time, trying to really work on a possibly either a college career and or most likely a professional career in baseball. How do you balance those? Um, I, I took a lot of classes um, earlier in my high school year, mainly whenever I started getting recruited. I actually started getting recruited fall first my sophomore year maybe. And that, and I started realizing that, you know, college, I could, you know, this is what I could be doing, so it's time to get serious in the classroom. So, you know, I've always took it serious, but now it's time to stay on my game. So I took a lot of extra classes my sophomore and junior year. And this year I made it to where I only had two main classes that I had to take. Um, this year, so I don't stress, um, stress myself out, and that uh, I'm just trying to make sure I focus on my major. Yeah. You know, I'm learning things here and there for what I want to major in for when I go to college. Right, right. And speaking of college and speaking of high school, tell us some of your, uh, your maybe your favorite coaches along the way, and you can go all the way back to little league or your youth uh, teams you've had going through. I'm sure there's been lots of coaches. Tell us a couple of your favorite ones that have helped you along the way get to where you're at now, being the number one pitching prospect. Um, for sure, uh, high school football coach, for sure, uh, Matt Richardson. He, he's been someone who, he's been like a mentor to me, almost a, you know, someone I look up to as a person. He, he's a great person, a great human being. He's taught me a lot since I've been in high school. And that's someone just from a mature side. And as a person, he's all, he's really been there for me. And also Chase Brewster, my, um, summer coach. He's, um, how we met and we, you know, we have a lot of things that are not in common with each other. Uh-huh. But, after we played the summer with each other, I call him my brother now. He, he's like someone <laughs> that's my, you know, part of my family. Yeah. yeah. And so he he's helped me tremendously through everything. And then also um, an old coach of mine. Um, his name is Josh Fleming. He's uh, he was my pitching coach my sophomore year, and he he stayed there with me through everything. You know, he's not able to be here with me every day. You know, working with me every day. Yeah. But if he sees a video or he learns something, you know, I'm the first guy he gets. You know, he gets with to try to teach me. You know, he's always keeping me informed on a lot of things about pitching. That's awesome. Paul, you have another question? Yeah. Hey, Jaden. Obviously, we know you're a fantastic pitcher. You're number one prospect in the state of Arkansas, but you're also a great yes, athlete from everything we read. So talk about how playing multi-sports has really helped you become a better pitcher uh, that you are today. Uh, it's helped me stay athletic. Um, a lot of guys that pitch, they only pitch, and they're not athletic. So if there's something wrong with their delivery or their mechanics, you know, they're almost unable to fix it. And with me playing these different sports, it's kept me athletic and able to fix things that I may have not known about. And so as I progress and learn more about pitching, my my athletic ability is keeping me to where I can learn how to do different things with my body. Hey, we're talking to Jaden Hill here, one of the uh, pitching prospects, best pitching prospects in the country. And, Jay, we talked about coaching. I'm sure your parents have uh, been there. Your dad's been there along with you through this whole ride, too. Tell us how they're taking all this, uh, you know, given, you know, you're starting to get some national celebrity now. People are noticing you. Like you said, you had a fan base you didn't even know you had when you got to the All-American game. Tell us how mom and dad and the family's taking all this. Uh, it's, it's fun because my dad, to me, I feel like he was meant for things like this. I feel like I've taken his part. You know, I think he, he was meant. I think he was meant for this, but I think they're just really proud. Yeah. Uh, I'm able, I'm doing the things that I'm doing. You know, they've always been there for me since since I was born. You know, there's not been a moment they haven't been a part of in my life, yeah. and I'm really thankful for them. You know, they've been there with me and supported me through everything. 
Well, speaking of which, we had this interview on Jaden. By the way, our interview is too short here. We're coming to an end, but um, you know, your grandma is very, very proud of you. In fact, she was so proud that she brought in a baseball card uh, to show me. And uh, I was lucky enough. And by the way, here's a little comment to all those driving around. If your grandson is good enough that they've made a baseball card of him, he's pretty dang good. <laughs> so, hey, I want to say congratulations on your uh, short career so far. But, man, all the success you've had. And, man, we look forward to seeing you. Not only if you go to LSU, but if you uh, go to the big leagues, I mean, we're going to be following your career. You made some fans here in Abilene, Texas, and uh, all the big country area, and all of our Docs and Jocks listeners are now going to be listening to Jaden Hill and following your career in the bigs. So, man, best of luck. Uh, we wish you all all the best, and uh, we'll have to have you on again real soon when you uh, sign your first Major League Baseball deal. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Jaden. Hey, we'll Thanks, be right Jay. back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Ferris is off doing the Grand Canyon University sports broadcasting gig that he does. He's been a sports broadcaster out there for years. So if you listen to our show and don't hear the, the voice of Ferris, it's because you're hearing the voice of Brandon Hawk. Hawk is a longtime uh Cowboys and Texas Tech Red Raiders athletic trainer. He's also been the producer here of Docs and Jocks, our sports medicine radio show. And uh, man, if you're just catching our show for the very first time, want to find out more about it, we'd love to have you part of our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or listen to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Great show this week, Hogman. <clears throat> I love having the interviews. Uh, Dr. Stephen Brown was awesome. The young 17-year-old, 95-mile-an-hour flamethrower, Jaden Hill, was great. Dr. Collins, neuropsychology was great. Man, just incredible guests. I'm going to I'm going to tell you something here, Hawk. I just heard this this week. TB12, Tom Brady 12, is doing an app. Yes. On this app, it's a wellness app where they talk about things like nutrition, the importance of hydration, the importance of sleep. On Docs and Jocks, which you get for free, the Tom Brady 12 app is 20 bucks a month. We pay to be on air so that our listening audience can get for free things like we have the world's premier sleep specialist from Harvard on our show, Dr. Schleiler. Dr. Charles Seisler. Seisler. I always say it wrong. Yeah. But we have the sleep specialist from Harvard on talking about the importance of sleep. We had Jill Lane, who is the Dallas Cowboys sports nutritionist probably the best sports nutritionist i've ever dealt with on our show talking about nutrition we talked about things like hydration and nauseam here on docs and jocks you get all that for free i mean i went to 14 years of medical school and residency to do sports medicine i'm giving you that education for free whether or not that's worth a nickel that's up to you or not but tom brady 12 tb12 i know it's tom brady (laughs) but you're going on the app to get a bunch of tips guess what you can get here on docs and jocks at no cost to you at all that's Just a, download Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N, J-O-X, or iTunes podcast. Listen to it every week. Boom. You don't have to do it. Pay 20 bucks a month. You know, it's funny, Dr. Dan. Caitlin and I will be at home sometime, and she'll bring up some specific area. And I'm like, hey, go back online. We had this guy. She was dealing with a sleep issue at one point. And yeah. I said, go listen to Dr. Seisler. So she sat down and listened to it, and she was like, wow, that was really good. And so <laughs> things come up in life. Just go to Docs and Jocks on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast and check it out. There are very few topics that I can think of in the sports medicine world that we haven't covered somehow, some way, either by having the world's leading expert on it. I mean, let me let me just give you a for instance. We we've heard all kinds of Tommy John surgery stories in the media. We've had Tommy John on, right? The Tommy John, the guy who had the very first one. That's just crazy. He, he was on the radio show. 
Then we've had athletes who have had Tommy John surgery, your good friend, the closer for the uh, Miami Marlins, uh, Ramos. Yeah, now the uh, New York Mets. Now the New York Mets. So he had Tommy John surgery with the great doctor, Dr. Crawford, up in Lubbock, Texas. So we talked to him about that. And then guess what? We had Dr. James Andrews, probably the premier you know, expert at doing the Tommy John surgery, as well as Dr. John Conway in the Fort Worth area, the Rangers team doctor, talking about the best techniques for Tommy John surgery. So if you had a question about Tommy John, <laughs> those are the types of interviews we've done here on Docs and Jocks. I mean, you can't get better experts than what we've had on our show. Dr. Stephen Brown today was awesome. Jaden Hill, the young flamethrower, and a neuropsychologist from UT Southwestern, Dr. Collum. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. So, and, and that's for free. And we would have had Dr. Job if he hadn't passed away. I, I mean, know. So. Dr. Job would have came on because I'm a Dr. Houston fan. I, I did my, my sports medicine fellowship with Dr. Jack Houston, who was good friends with Dr. Job. I guarantee he would have been on. I know. He passed away. That's Sadly. Sad. Rest in peace. Yep. So, hey, I thought some of the other big stories we could talk about in the, uh, in the media this week. Aaron Rodgers goes, uh, gets cleared this week after going down with a clavicle fracture that required him to have surgery where they put a plate and screws across his clavicle. My question for you, Hawk, you know that the doctors, we're, we're supposed to be all uh, about just the patient. So Aaron Rodgers gets cleared this week. Does, does that just happen to coincide with the fact that the Packers won a game in overtime last week against the Cleveland Browns, and now and if they win out this year, they now will be in the playoffs. My question for you is, had they lost last week, would Aaron Rodgers be starting this week? I would say probably yes, and the only reason I would say that is because I know how competitive he is. He's he's not really a uh, – uh, I guess he's not really a guy that just wants to sit back and watch unless he absolutely can't play. I mean, if you've seen him in these pregames the last few weeks, they show him, and he's airmailing the ball. I mean, yeah. he's ready to go. And so, I don't know. That, I don't question his integrity about being ready to go. And in my back of my mind, I just heard Ferris laughing at you because Ferris <laughs> always says everything's about the money and follow the money. And if there's no chance to make the playoffs and the Packers making more money in the playoffs, he would have said there's no way that he's going to play this week. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy, Aaron Rodgers has got a Super Bowl ring. He's got all the money in the world. I mean, he, he just wants to play. He wants to compete. He wants – just compete. I mean, well, here's what they got to do to win. The, the uh, Packers, I mean, yeah, the Packers have to beat the Carolina Panthers this week. Case Keenum and the Vikings. Case Keenum's from our listening area here in Docks and Jocks in the big country area. Actually grew up in Abilene, Texas, went to Wiley High School, won a state championship there. They got to beat, and he's playing great, by the way. Yes. They got to beat the Vikings, and then they have to go to Detroit. So they got to beat Panthers, Vikings, and then at Detroit, Matt Stafford. That's a pretty good uh, road to hoe. Man, if he And beats, they got to get Atlanta to lose. If he beats all those teams, then. There might be a really, really good shot that they're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, if anybody can do that, it's, it's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's just been been doing that kind of crazy stuff for years. So, yeah, you, you hope him the best. And, man, you hope he doesn't land on that shoulder again. Remember, Tony Romo tried to come back from a clavicle fracture, ended up having a re-injury, ended up having a surgery. And so he tried to do it conservatively, then had surgery, and then had a you know recurrence. So. Does it help that uh, Rodgers had the plate inserted in his and Romo did not? I think it helps the fact that you recover. Your recovery time is more predictable, and it's more, uh, you know, you can figure it out. If you're going to remember where Tony Romo's fracture, uh, one of uh, one of the guys that fractured who'd had a plate was at where the plate ended. Uh, okay. Remember that? So the, you, know, you come down and land on it, you've created a new fulcrum. So remember, you, the plate stabilizes that area, but now the movement's got to go somewhere when you land on your shoulder. Remember, your yeah. clavicle is just a, basically a fancy strut bone that takes the pressure from your arms and it transfers it into your trunk. So when you land on it, that pressure is going to go somewhere. And if it's 
being changed by where the plate is, it's going to break just above the plate. So if, if a 320-pound, I don't know what Terrell Suggs weigh, weighs, probably more than that, Terrell Suggs lands on you, it doesn't matter if you've got a plate and screws. It doesn't matter if you don't have a plate and screws. <laughs> you're breaking it somewhere, right? Yeah. Golly, there's a picture of uh, Case Keenum being chased by Terrell Suggs, this giant human of a man standing behind him, monster of a man coming, coming after him. I'm thinking, man, you forget how big these guys are, and they're trying to rip your head off. Just crazy. Oh, no, you you watched last week in the game, and they said uh, Case Keenum is having to make a lot of plays with his feet. And you think, well, if you had a defensive lineman that runs a 4-3 <laughs> running at you, you better use your feet. You better use your feet. <laughs> you know how we'll find out whether or not Aaron Rodgers would have started had the Browns lost or Browns beat them last week is if they lose this week. Oh, that's a good If the Packers good. lose this week, will Aaron Rodgers then start against the Vikings the next week? You know? And we'll find out, right? Yeah, and then we might see Brett Hundley again. So, <laughs> yeah. whoever that guy is. Yep, yep, he's done. And then while Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is back. Hey, Philadelphia Eagles clinch the Ooh. NFC East, but at what cost? The sports medicine story in this one is the fact that their great quarterback, Carson Wentz, who's had a breakout year this year, ruptured his anterior cruciate ligament. Remember, your anterior cruciate ligament is that criss- one of the crisscross ligaments in your knee that stabilizes the lower tibia from s- rotating and slipping forward on the femur, or actually the femur slipping backwards on the tibia is actually how it works. And so that ACL ligament is a stable, main stabilizer, one of the main stabilizers of the knee. I thought the amazing part of this story, well, if you saw the injuries too, how it happened, we dive into the air and two guys hit kind of spontaneously at the, at the same moment, uh, or simultaneously at the same moment, that was just a crazy way to tear your ACL. But the fact that he played for four more plays now knowing that it had a ruptured ACL, we, d- we just don't see that very often. You use an athletic trainer, that means a team physician. Typically, a person plants, they turn, they hear a pop, they fall down, their knee swells up, and they got to get helped off the field. That's the classic ACL story. For him to dive in the end zone, have his ACL ruptured, get up and be able to play four more, four more plays was pretty amazing. So – seeing what you just said is that something that either a he had a partial and maybe just finished it off in another play or would you say that being as strong as a good athlete as he is he was able to play those four plays with a torn acl yeah and i've seen some great amazing athletes not be able to play with an acl but carson Wentz, he just seems like he's really tough and he had a good stabilizing you know muscular muscularity the uh, scaffolding around the knee that allowed him to do that not very many guys do that i've seen i've been fooled twice in my career for guys who uh, jogged off the field after an acl rupture and this came over the sidelines and they told the trainer their knee was wobbly or felt felt unstable i saw them and uh, they had no swelling they're running up and down the sidelines they weren't cutting but running up and down the sidelines it ended up being an acl rupture you do their exam, and you're kind of shocked when you do their exam because you feel the uh, give way, the instability. It's called a Lachman's test that most of us do. There's an anterior drawer Lachman's test, and now there's also a – what's the one that you came up with, the new one we were talking about on the air? It's called the FEMA or something. The, like the, it's like a leverage test or something. Anyway, yeah. but there's a, several ACL tests, but Lachman's is the most common one. You do their test, and you're not expecting it because that's not the typical story, and you do the test, and you're like, whoa, it's real loose. So I've had that a couple times, but I've never had anybody go and play – four more plays on it before they came over and eventually found where they had an ACL injury. Yeah, he must be really tough. And, you know, as a Cowboys fan, that uh, hoping that my team can get back in, which is really yeah. rare, just yeah. like the Packers, 
uh, I want nothing more than the Eagles to lose. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Not because of injury, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it reminds me when Kobe Bryant, remember Kobe Bryant uh, ruptured his uh, Achilles tendon and he stayed out there and shot his free throws? Remember oh, yeah. that? Yeah. yeah that's, an, that's a tough to do. That's very, very unusual to rupture your Achilles tendon, stay on the court and shoot free throws and make them. That was pretty amazing, too. So yeah. there's some tough guys that uh, play this sport for sure, play all sports for sure. So uh, we'll hope the best of Carson Wentz. Uh, Nick Foles had he's going to be the uh, quarterback, and he, uh, man, he started off like gangbusters for the Eagles. They thought he was going to be the man, and then I think his uh, TD to interception ratio his last season was like two to ten or something like that, two touchdowns to ten interceptions. So crazy. Hey, you and I both saw a feature uh, story. Uh, it was both brought out in uh, print as well as on outside the lines. Larry Johnson, the former Chiefs running back, Kansas City Chiefs running back, the all-time single-season carry leader. In other words, he carried the ball 416 times in 2016, more than any other running back uh, ever. So he has a lot of carries for the Kansas City Chiefs. He now has publicly come out and said he is suffering what he believes is side effects of chronic traumatic encephalopathy from all the multiple blows he took. His symptoms that he describes are irritable moods, depression, thoughts of suicide, memory loss, and emotional ability, which means you'll go from joking, laughing, crying to, you know, just your, your moods are all over the place. And a uh, couple of interesting things about Larry Johnson. He's also had a battle with alcohol. So how much he thinks alcohol uh, worsened his symptoms. He was using it as a treatment, uh, basically, and it made his symptoms uh, more pronounced. There's been questions about whether alcohol caused all of it. He was never listed as ever having a concussion, but he states, even though I never went on the injured reserve or injured reserve list for a concussion, I started playing football when I was nine years old, he said. And so he said he played games at nine, like Bull in the Ring, where you know people run and hit you from all directions, where you hit with the head and you get just basically blasted. So he's, he came out and publicly said, I am tired of watching my fellow athletes suffer and not speak out. He went on to say, because of toxic male masculinity. He thinks it's a macho thing that you don't come out and speak out about these symptoms that you're suffering because you don't want to be labeled as a guy with having these symptoms. But, yeah. man, that's it's an interesting story, uh, you know, that Larry Johnson now comes out and says we see more and more guys coming out. He says he felt equivalent, very similar to what Aaron Hernandez described when he was describing fits of rage and depression and suicidal thoughts. Aaron Hernandez, who's now known to have had CT, one of the worst CTE post-autopsy brains uh, we've ever seen, so who committed suicide after he was convicted of murder. But uh, he says he feels kindred to some of those thoughts that Aaron Hernandez described. Yeah, you know, Dr. Dan, you and I were watching the thing on TV today, the special, and he he was talking about, no, I love the NFL. I love the game. And, no, I've never been diagnosed with concussion. But then as a, for a guy to come and say, I love that game, that and I'm like this because of possibly something the game caused, that's a little bit hard and kind of weird and confusing to hear as just a fan and, and and so, what what are your thoughts of that? Like, do you think that more and more of these running backs or all players will start to start noticing things and getting out of the game a lot sooner? Uh, yes, we've seen that somewhat with like uh, the Borland case. You know, he was a uh, star rookie linebacker of the Forty ers He said he didn't want to go on and play a sport where he felt like it affected his longevity of his memory and brain and the trauma that it was causing. So, I think you will see some of that. You'll see your guys like. Ben Roethlisberger, who we talked about last week, say, I kind of hope my son picks golf instead of football. If he loves football, probably okay with it, yeah. but I hope he picks golf. 
you'll hear guys like Kirk Cousins who came out this week and basically said, if there was a test for CTE, if I knew I had it right now, I'd stop playing. I'd retire. Wow. That's, 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 I think that's where we're going. Speaking of which, Boston University is very close to coming up with a test that could show that people who are living have CTE or not. So what Kirk Cousins is talking about is not that far out. Basically, Boston University researchers have found a cytokine, which is a protein that we see in the cerebral spinal fluid called uh, CCL11. So Kirk Cousins and some of those guys who would like to know if they have CTE at a young age, that may be happening pretty soon. So, Do you hey, think we'll see an influx of players that will want to uh, get that test done? Oh, absolutely, yeah. If you, wanted to know, if you wanted to know if you had it done early, and then what you were talking about, guys getting out of the league early because they know they have it, that's when you start seeing the, in, in the uh, increase in that. Yeah. Hey, from all of us here at Docs and Jocks, we want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners. Hey, remember, if you want to be part of the fastest-growing podcast out there, Docs and Jocks, just go to your iTunes app. Download your podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Subscribe and be part of our listenership. I want to say thank you to all our wonderful guests this week, Dr. Stephen Brown, Jaden Hill, Dr. Columns. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners from myself, Dr. Dan, as well as Hawk. And we uh, want to say thank you for being a listener on uh, your sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks. We'll be back next week with more. <laughs>